Good morning. How's it going? Fantastic. Oh, great. Thank you for asking. Um, my name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and I'm really, I know I say this all the time when I get a chance to be up here with you all, but I really am looking forward to our time together. Uh, if you're here on the physical campus, welcome. If you're out there uh, watching online, currently live, or you're journeying with us another time this week, or another location, I want to say welcome to you as well. Uh, it's no secret. Karen kind of alluded to it already. We are kind of already in full Christmas mode as a community. Ra- local radio stations are pumping out all the, the you know, Christmas classics. The coffee shops have their specialty drinks out. Houses are beginning to be decorated. Mine, hopefully, possibly today uh, as we watch a Buffalo Bills victory. Um, and then uh, I shouldn't have said that. Last time I wore a Josh Allen jersey and they lost. And uh, it was awful. So apologize about that. But uh, if you've been around the building here, there's like 75 Christmas trees that are illuminated and outside. It's very Christmassy everywhere. And I'm very guilty of this, but poor Thanksgiving. Um, we kind of just steamroll Christmas right up to the day where we eat the turkey. And then it's like, oh yeah, thank you. And then we continue on in our Christmas spirit. But for today, we're going to pump the brakes a little bit on Christmas and hold off one more week. Because next week, when you come back, we're going to have uh, our new series start called the Great or the Gift Exchange, and today we're going to focus in on a perspective of Thanksgiving, a perspective that, if understood and pursued, uh, could possibly set up for you the greatest gift of all time this coming Christmas. Now, to help us get there, let me tell you about an experience my wife Becca and I had not that long ago, maybe five years ago or so. Now, this is a period of our time that. We know as BC, before children in our lives, and there were a couple of things that we enjoyed doing during this time, and one of them was sleeping in. Uh, The second one was just waking up with no schedule on a Saturday morning, hopping in the car, and going garage sailing. Never really looking for anything we needed, because we didn't need anything, but more about the adventure and the thrill of a good bargain shop. And I remember it was a Saturday morning, and the sunrise, uh, the burst of light was just kind of the beautiful backdrop as our tires screeched to a halt, as we stopped by this house that had a huge sign that said, giant garage sale here. Now, sometimes these are accurate and sometimes they're a little misleading. This one was the former. It was very accurate. Spread all across the lawn were some of the latest and greatest kids' toys that I've ever seen. And again, this is BC. We didn't have kids. But the day I married Becca and her extremely large family, I inherited, I think, like 18 nieces and nephews. It's now well over 20. So we had a lot of kids in our lives. And so uh, there were power wheels, big wheels, sports equipment games, and so much more. But when we saw a mint condition radio flyer pole wagon uh, at an unbelievable discounted price, our jaws dropped. This is one of those ones that had like canopy, two folding chairs, uh, four cup holders for all of the kids' beverages, This was the Cadillac of the Radio Flyer Wagon series. And so I pulled out, I believe it was my iPhone 4S at the time, and I'm looking really quickly to see what does this cost new? And at the $30, like this was an incredible savings. And so I just instinctually jumped out to claim it as my own, and I grabbed hold of it, fending off all the other garage sale shoppers who were there. But what happened next really startled us in the saddest and loudest voice I've ever heard up on the porch. No, not my wagon, no. And I I startled, so I dropped the wagon, I turned around and I looked and there was a four-year-old boy 
with his head wedged in between the, the porch railing spindles, crocodile tears streaming down, that I was holding on to his, red, uh, his uh, wagon, radio flyer wagon. So I quickly let go, but the mom rushed over and said, hey, if you want it, it's going home with you today. She told us that in his four years of living, it had only been used twice. And she said that he had a garage full of four-wheeled toys that he could enjoy beyond the radio flyer. However, the boy wouldn't have any of it. If what the mother said was true, this little guy, he had an abundance of stuff, of toys, similar to his radio flyer at his disposal. In fact, a garage full of them. But he became unraveled. He became distraught that one of his possessions was going to possibly be leaving his collection. His life circumstances were changing right in front of his very eyes, and he was restless because of it. So, Becca and I had to teach him a lesson about contentment. I pulled my wallet out, crocodile tears streaming. I grabbed back onto it, and I swear, it was the, the longest load-up I've ever seen. We had this tiny little car. We were trying to finagle this thing in. And the entire time, he's screaming, please no, please no, not my radio flyer. We drive home. We immediately fall onto our knees in repentance before the Lord. And, uh, and I know that I'm using just this experience from this innocent four-year-old here. And his reaction, it's sad and it's cute all at the same time. You might be saying, like, how could you? And I totally get that. Uh, But this is not just something that kids deal with. And then once they get their teenage years, they grow out of this whole idea of contentment. His little mind could not handle the idea of an external circumstance change, the loss of his toy, even though he had an abundance before him. He, uh, He was not what we would call content. His little soul was restless, and he reacted the way that he did. But like I said just moments ago, this is not just a kid thing. You and I struggle with this whole idea of contentment. And it's not just about material possessions either. There's a lot of things in our lives that we struggle with when it comes to this idea of being content. God's desire for you and I is that our souls would not want, that, he would, that we would be content. However, the enemy of God knows this, and so he loves to attack our lives in such a way to disrupt the peace, the hope, the love, and the joy that comes from being content in God. And this is what we're going to be exploring today, kind of this big idea of when our focus is on Jesus, we find contentment in our souls. When our focus is on Jesus, we find contentment in our souls. If you have your Bibles, I would love for you to meet me in Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, we're going to head right to verse 10 here. Uh, Here we're going to be reading the conclusion of a letter that a guy named Paul, a follower of Jesus, has wrote to a church in Philippi. This letter uh, that we're opening up to, really, if you read it in its entirety, and if you have not yet, I encourage you to do so, get the full context. It's really a thank you note. And he adds a little bit extra into this thank you note. And this is kind of, we're reading kind of the conclusion of this thank you note, the kind of this concluding remarks here. So if you open up to Philippians 4, let's start in verse 10. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. 
So what we understand uh, just from, you know, even just reading the letter is that Paul received some kind of monetary gift from the church in Philippi. And in verse 10, he once again, he says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. So Paul, he's greatly rejoicing in the Lord for the gift, the monetary gift that was sent to him. But then he says something that I thought is kind of interesting for a thank you note in verse 11. He says, not that I'm speaking from being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. So Paul's rejoicing of money given is not because he actually needed it. In fact, currently, at the moment of writing this letter, Paul is sitting on a dirty, damp, cold, dark prison floor. He was accused of causing a disturbance by pointing people toward this guy named Jesus, and so he was persecuted, imprisoned, and now he's awaiting possible execution. And this little bit of historical context that I just shared with you certainly should give us a fuller picture of the powerful words inked to his friends who gave him a gift. A gift that Paul didn't necessarily need, but one that he's rejoicing in because for Paul, throughout the letter, you see that this is really pointing to significant spiritual growth in the church, and he's rejoicing in that. He loves that they're growing spiritually. He says, I rejoiced in the gift given to me, but not a rejoicing that comes from me needing the gift, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. In my opinion, Paul saves kind of the best for last here in his letter. In his concluding remarks, he shares how powerful contentment can be in your and I's lives. And whatever situation Paul found himself in, he was able to be content. So, I don't know if you caught it, but already we've learned something about contentment here. Contentment is something that has to be learned. Contentment is something that has to be learned. Contentment is not something that comes naturally to you and I, but it is something that has to be learned. Now, uh, at this point, you may be asking yourself, okay, contentment has to be learned, but just what is contentment? Like, what is it that we're talking about? What is that meaning? And also, how can we achieve contentment in all situations like Paul was able to. You see, when Paul wrote this letter, he did so using the original ancient Greek language of his time. And so today and throughout history, scholars have done their best to deliver a solid translation that you and I can use in a language that we understand uh, to be able to communicate the truths that God had given to us. But the trouble is, is that in some of these ancient languages, they're just so pack full of meaning and emotion. Just using this word contentment, I'm not even going to attempt to read the original word in Greek because I'll butcher it and that won't be cool. Uh, but this word contentment, when we look into it in the ancient Greek, this word contentment means the satisfaction of the soul independent of external circumstances. The word contentment that we get in our English translation is derived from this Greek word that means the satisfaction of our soul independent of external circumstances. That's such a powerful description of the contentment that Paul had learned to have found. Going back to that cute little four-year-old boy, he had not yet learned to be content. He was searching for contentment in his life, but it was dependent on external circumstances, i.e. his radio flyer wagon. But what Paul is saying is that he had learned to be content in whatever situation he found himself. His soul was satisfied independently of the external circumstances around him. This meant then that Paul did 
not no true contentment like this at first, but rather contentment with something that he had to learn along the way. Another question we could ask at this point is, big whoop, who cares? What's the big deal of being content anyways? Why does it matter for me in my life all of these years later, living in the year 2021? Listen again to what this type of contentment was able to do in Paul's life. We find it in verse 12. The contentment that he learned that was independent of external circumstances, he says, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I love, that's crazy. In any and every circumstance, he says, he learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I told you in the beginning that we were looking at a perspective of thanksgiving. And if understood and if pursued, it could possibly lend to becoming the greatest gift that you could have ever received this Christmas season. Doesn't what Paul had sound at least appeasing to you? Like, to me, that sounds incredible. This learned secret of contentment that Paul experienced allowed him to be satisfied at the deepest levels of who he was, at a soul level, in any and every circumstance. And what I find so encouraging today is this was something that he had to learn, which means we can too. When our bellies are full and when they are not, we can learn to be content. When we have much and when we have little, we can be content. When the Bills embarrassingly lost to the Jaguars on national television, we can be content. When we're faced with sickness and when we're experiencing a season of good health, you and I can be content. When we are free to share our religious beliefs wherever we want and when we are persecuted for them, we can be content. When our political party is in charge and when they are not, we can be content. For Paul, he had learned the secret of being content no matter the situation. And this was genuine. I believe Paul meant every single word of it. But how? How was contentment like this possible in his life in any and every circumstance? Well, he gives us the answer in verse 13. Paul says the secret, how he can do this, is that he can do all things through him who strengthens me. This him is referencing Jesus. Paul says, I can do all things. All of this is possible because it is Jesus who strengthens me. It is Jesus who has allowed it to be so. And so, today, the secret has been revealed of how contentment is able to be achieved. Contentment is possible because Jesus makes it so. Contentment is possible because Jesus makes it so. It's one of the many benefits of being in a right relationship with Jesus that allowed Paul to be so satisfied independent of external circumstances. And today, as you and I gather, we uh, gather. a question I have is, can you and I at this moment say that we have learned that same secret, that in any and all circumstances, we are too content? Is our soul at rest? And you may be saying, man, this just doesn't sound possible. Like, this doesn't seem like something natural, or it doesn't, uh, doesn't seem like it's physically possible. And to you, I would say, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. It's not natural. In fact, it's supernatural. That's why Jesus has to be involved. And it's not physically possible, but it's spiritually possible. Jesus has to help get us there. And I would also like to point out here that contentment didn't mean that Paul was like an emotionless robot and that nothing ever affected him in life. 
everything that happened to him, he still felt the weight of all of that. But no matter what happened to him, the good, the bad, the ugly, his soul was at rest. His soul was at rest. He could rest in the arms of Jesus, whose love, peace, hope, and joy had now become his own. And I think that's what the truest secret of contentment is. It's, it's all of those things of who Jesus is now becomes who you are. Contentment was made possible to Paul because Jesus made it so. Paul remained untroubled by his own imprisonment, his own persecution, his own injustice, and his possible upcoming execution. Paul had discovered the secret of contentment. He had found satisfaction independent from external circumstances for his soul. It seems the only way for humans, for you and I, to achieve such a thing is through him who strengthens us, Jesus himself. But the moment that you and I begin to seek contentment for our souls through Jesus Christ, the enemy of God, Satan, will certainly be on the move. He loves to disrupt the possibility of contentment in a believer's life. And so I think it then warrants a quick question. How does he do it? How does the enemy disrupt contentment in a believer's life or any life for that matter? Well, we'll use the word counterfeit contentment, a counterfeit contentment. Uh, Contentment can disguise itself and we can be easily fooled. Paul was pretty clear that the secret to contentment is found only in Jesus Christ. You and I, uh, maybe you know this, maybe you don't, but we were designed to live with divine peace, love, hope, and joy in any and all circumstance because that's who God created us to be. We were created to be in right relationship with God. And so I think it's fair to say that our souls are naturally searching for this contentment because it does not like to be restless because it was not designed for that. It was designed to be content in the presence of God. For those who do not have Jesus in their life, then they're constantly on the hunt for the next thing that will quench their soul's want. But for those that know Jesus and are content or getting closer to being content in any and all circumstance, you got a target on your back. The enemy, he will pull out all the stops to disrupt your contentment. He will try and convince you that true contentment can indeed be found in external circumstances, the pleasures of the earth that you can have right now in this moment. So why does he like doing this? Why does Satan love doing this to believers and to non-believers? Well, if he can get our focus on external circumstances for our contentment, then our souls are no longer satisfied because only Jesus can do that, our creator. And so Christian will then no longer be content. And when Christian is no longer content, then they lose their effectiveness as Christian. You want to derail someone's effectiveness? Just sprinkle on a little discontentment. You've been working at a job and you begin to get tired of it or you begin to question your position there or think about what life could be like elsewhere. And so begin researching and looking. I guarantee you could see your job performance just kind of do this with a little bit of discontentment. You ever question a friendship or relationship that you're a part of? All of a sudden, the effort that you were pouring and investing into that relationship or friendship begins to plummet as well, significantly because of discontentment. If a believer is not content, in a way, the soul is not satisfied. And if the soul is not satisfied, then that means the focus is no longer on Jesus. And if our focus is no longer on Jesus, then effectiveness as a disciple is completely diminished. Counterfeit contentment that the enemy uses comes in all different shapes and sizes. 
for me, it's most easily identifiable in materialistic things, but there are other things as well that he will use. A couple examples of us humans trying to satisfy our soul's unrest is, here. here's one right here. You know, my house, it's great, but I got two kids now, three kids, whatever, and if I just had like 100 square feet more, I could have like a mud room, like then I would be content, and so you go searching for the next bigger home. If you could just change your job, you know, you just don't like your situation you're in, you just got to change it. If you can change it and get the right one, then you'll be satisfied. Your car, you know, just limping by that gas guzzler. If you could just have a different car, then you'd be satisfied. Maybe you're not satisfied in your current relationship that you're in, and so you're contemplating a relationship change. And you're like, if I could just get out of this and get into that, then maybe then I would be satisfied. Or, you know, I got a great uh, 4K 60-inch TV last Black Friday, but now I can get a 65-inch one because that five inches really does matter. And man, I'd be satisfied. If I could just get that, then I'd be that. If I can get that, then I'd be this. And they seem so silly to say out loud, but you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because if you've lived any amount of time on this earth, you've experienced these uh, contentment struggles before. And my guess is when you've pursued these type of contentments, they have failed you like they have failed me. Now, I do want to say that many of the things I just talked about, they're not necessarily bad. Some are, but not all those are bad. But when it becomes bad is when we're trying to satisfy our soul through external circumstances like food, friendships, new gadgetry, social accolades, career, education, etc. that's when it becomes bad. Why? Well, it's physically, emotionally, and mentally exhausting, and it never stops. There's no finish line. If our contentment is on the external, external circumstances always change. Therefore, you have put your soul in a state of constant unrest. And you may think you found it. You're finally content, and then bam, circumstances change. It's gone, and now you're spending an enormous amount of time and energy trying to get to that next thing that will satisfy your soul. Bam, changes, and now you're back doing that. And then there's a danger of pursuing counterfeit contentment. Counterfeit contentment will always underdeliver. It will never satisfy, and it can leave you in some pretty tough places. Materialistically, you can end up in a world of debt. Socially, broken relationships, family, suffering children, personally, character flaws, etc. And the harsh reality is this. In our pursuit of counterfeit contentment, we are less happy after than we were before. And so we continue on in our pursuit of satisfaction. It's a vicious cycle, and it's why it's such a powerful tool by the enemy. But this morning, I can tell you some good news. Take heart. Together today, we learn that the secret of being content in any and all circumstance, no matter what's happening to us externally, comes when you and I put our focus on Jesus Christ. It is then that we find contentment in our souls. And I don't want you to miss this. It's something that Paul had to learn. It's not something we're naturally born with. So every single person in here can learn to be content like Paul was. I'd love to read the passage that we've looked at thus far one more time. Paul said, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. 
I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Thanksgiving's on Thursday, Black Friday's on Friday, and then like, it seems like two days later, Christmas is here. It just goes so fast. For me, this is the hardest time of the year for me to be personally content. I love materialistic gain. I love stuff. I really, really do. I'm stuck inside more because there's no sunlight ever. Uh, the deals are fantastic uh, that are coming up. The year's wrapping up, and so I'm doing like year in review. How was my, you know, what did I do last year? A new year's coming up. You know, what could the year look like for me? And so it's just a tough time to, to really settle into am I content or not content. And so if you ask me right now, hey, have you learned to be content? Are you content like Paul was content? It would be a resounding no. And so I'll ask you the same question. How are you this morning? Have you learned to be content as Paul had learned to be content? Or are you currently pursuing a counterfeit contentment or two? How is it going for you? How is your soul? Is it restless or is it restful? Would you say you're satisfied in every and all circumstances that happen in your life? Maybe you're here this morning and you're like, yeah, absolutely. My soul is fully at rest today because of what Jesus has done in my life and because my focus is on him. And to that, I would say, praise God for you. It's amazing. But if you're like me, that's not where I'm at. But there's hope. There's good news because Paul had to learn how to be content. Anyone has the option or the ability to take a step of faith and to put their hope and their trust in Jesus Christ, the King of the world. If you are not yet a believer in Jesus, but you are so tired of the constant counterfeits and you want to be content for the first time at a soul level, it's time to take that first step. Make that decision for Christ and your whole life is radically changed. Won't you at least consider a life with Jesus who's the only one who can quench your soul's appetite for contentment? For those of us who are believers and who are in this position where we're not really content, then it's time to do whatever it takes to get Jesus back into our limelight, to be the focus of our attention so that contentment can find our souls. Whatever you have to do. Start ditching counterfeit contentments. Get into a fellowship of like-minded people who are pursuing God together, like a small group here, or take on the role of discipling somebody, or get discipled by somebody in our one-on-one -on -one program. Serve in a ministry here. Use your gifts for the Lord. That's a huge way to really lean on him. Make time for God daily and recognize that he goes with you no matter what. You can literally have a conversation with God at any time, at all times. Take him with you. Let him talk back through the scriptures by opening up his word and hearing what he has to say to you. Give ample time and permission for God to search your heart and to point out areas where you might need a correction. My hope is that Thanksgiving 2021 would be a moment that we would look back on where we made an important commitment or decision or a recommitment to Jesus. And that we would say, oh yeah, that's where I began to put my focus back upon the Lord and everything changed because contentment once again or for the first time found my soul. I personally think it's the best gift that we could ever receive this holiday season, not only for ourselves, but for those around you. It's available because Jesus is allowing it to be available during this time. Won't you accept it? Let me pray for us. God, we just thank you so much for your word.
um, that God, uh, it's communicated and, and brought in, in a way that we can understand. And God, we looked at a pretty intense topic of contentment, and we live in a world where there's this, we live in a country where there's just so much stuff. And I feel like as Americans, we really do struggle with materialistic contentment and social contentment and mental contentment. There's just so many things that are vying for our soul's uh, kind of lead, uh, trust. And I just pray against those things. I pray against counterfeit contentment. The enemy is hard at work, but God, you are stronger. And in you, there is strength that can remove anything from our life. And so I pray that, uh, Lord, for anyone who, who's here and has not yet made a first-time decision to follow you, their trust and their hope is not in you, that, God, you would make that decision uh, just insanely uh, aware uh, today, that you would just put that in front of their face and that they would make that decision. For those people who are here who have made a decision for you but feel like their soul is not content because they've allowed the enemy to creep in with some counterfeit contentment, God, I pray we get serious. And I pray that we're honest to speak with you and you allow uh, your spirit to convict our heart, to point out things that we need to maybe rid from our life or add to our life so that God, contentment can find our souls, so that we would be effective. That God, we would not allow the enemy to take away any of what you are trying to accomplish here on earth. It's your will above our own. So God, we just thank you for this Thanksgiving season, all that it, it means and can bring to our lives and for Christmas. And we just pray that our focus remains on you throughout all of it. We love you. We pray this in your name. Amen.